it's a tough business. You know, I've never worked anywhere else, but I've tried to find a more complicated business where there are as many things that go wrong as that <laughs> there are inherent in this business. And I, I think I've had one, each one of my management team say, why did your dad ever start this business? And uh, it's in jest because again, we, we sacrifice sanity for stability. And, and when you do it right, it's, uh, it's pretty darn rewarding. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's guest on the show is Matt Wardle, owner and president of JD Machine in Ogden, Utah. JD currently produces around 4,000 active part numbers, serving a diverse group of sectors, including aerospace, defense, and medical. Matt says he sometimes envies other machining companies who have a more narrow focus on the types of parts they produce because it simplifies their operations. Yet he insists on keeping his company diversified to be successful long-term. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Matt Wordle, owner and president of JD Machine in Ogden, Utah. Welcome to the show, Matt. Uh, thanks, Noah. Good to be with you. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of things, um, including family business. Uh, we sort of continuing on the theme of the last podcast. JD Machine is a, a three-generation machining company so far. And just to get started... I want you to give me a brief overview of JD Machine, uh, what you guys do. We'll get a little history of that and a little history uh, about you. But first, just so people have a little context, what do you guys make? So we're a, a basically a job shop. Uh, we've got a little less than 200 uh, team members employed here. And uh, we build a lot of component parts and assemblies. Uh, most of it's precision CNC machining and fabrication. Are uh, the industries we serve are commercial aircraft, defense, uh, aerospace, medical device, medical implant, uh, kind of in uh, a lot of different industries for a goal we have of diversification, so we can ride through the ups and downs of the economic trends. And uh, smart. So if it if it's a tight tolerance production part uh, with the ongoing use, then that's uh, kind of our deal. And there's some work that's gone offshore that's come back, but uh, some work that's gone offshore that we really suited to build because there isn't the complexity or the quality requirements. So that's sort of the world we work in. I, I have a couple yeah. here. This yeah, is a uh, perfect. Show okay. me the part uh, and um, I'll zoom in here. Um, this is a, 
uh, one of them, our machine parts. It's run on how a big is your machine? Uh, you can see my hand. You know, it's about six inch diameter. Wow. Out of aluminum, the equipment we use is quite automated. So we will buy a twelve foot bar of six and a half inch aluminum. We'll cut it into slugs. We chuck it in our machine uh, using CAD CAM and um, simulation software. We machine it virtually. And then uh, the engineers uh, send that program to the machinist. They set it up, put the work holding in place, set all the tools that were determined by the programmer. And ideally, out comes a finished part. And what does that go into? Uh, Honestly, I don't know on this one. Um, I think it's commercial aircraft. A lot of times we don't know. Um, We are sent the solid model or drawing and the specifications and they are <laughs> there's not much left to the imagination you either make a good part or you know the whole thing scrap so this part right here is a um i believe it's a it's a commercial aircraft part but there's some really tight tolerances to it um, yeah interesting there's another part that uh this runs on a five axis uh machining center what was the brand of the last one the brand yeah, of the machining center, just out of curiosity. Oh, uh, that that one's run on a uh, Moriseki. Moriseki, okay. And this one? This one as well. Yep. So this one run on a uh, NMB 3000. It's got 34 pallets. So this part uh, runs with a bunch of other parts, some out of uh, aluminum, some plastics. Uh, it's got 34 pallets and wow. it's kind of a fun s- situation where our uh, the machinist that runs it, works one shift and it's still going when he comes in the next day, making just a variety of different parts. So I was going to say, wow, that is complicated. So how long does it take to make that part? Uh, Explain it to people. For for the people listening. Yeah. uh, This one's probably held uh, twice and you can see there's some bores here that we have to uh, go in very tight tolerance bores. There's a lot of surfacing that happens in these areas. I do believe the surfacing has improved. This is one of the first iterations coming off of that. But um, the machine itself can move uh, in five axes simultaneously. So you can get at all sorts of different angles with your cutting tools. And as it removes the material, we're managing both uh, size and surface finish. And uh, this thing will run, I think, a couple hours probably. Wow. For this one. Yeah. So they come off pretty quick. Wow, a couple hours is pretty quick with that, huh? Yeah, it is. It's uh, one that's a long-term contract. We locked it up and hope to be building it for many years to come. So, well, uh, that's I'm going to ask you. I'll ask you a question that you might not want to answer. Um, uh-huh. How much would one get for a part like that? Oh, gosh, I honestly, I don't even know the price tag. I'm guessing a couple hundred bucks. Okay. I don't have that in front of me. We build, gosh, I think we've got 4,000 active part numbers that we're working on right now. So it's uh, 4,000 part numbers. 4, yeah. I talked a little bit about uh, the diversification and just the complexity that brings uh, some shops. They choose to focus in on an industry and a few part numbers, which is a great strategy. It's in many ways, a uh, maybe a little bit easier approach because you don't have 4,000 parts you're trying to manage uh, with various deliveries and contracts and whatnot. But uh, we've kind of chosen this in our lot because uh, I've been running the business since 92 and seen a couple of pretty good ups and downs, uh, mostly uh, pretty good corrections in the industry. Uh, and I like that. Corrections. Uh, we like to be around hopefully for the next generation. So 
we trade our sanity <laughs> for uh, complexity and stability, which comes from being in a bunch of different industries. You sacrifice sanity for stability. That is a, a fascinating statement. Is that something that you've been saying a while? Or do you just Actually, come just, up with that in our, in, in, just, in our just, conversation? Just came to me. Just came to me because, uh, yeah, it's not sanity. It's just there's every time when we set up a part like this guy, there's its own challenges that is completely different from this part. In some ways, you've seen one, you've seen one. And yeah. uh, you start over, unless you have a pretty tight part family, you start over with a new set of problems with each new part you take on. And so yeah. um, when you're trying to diversify and be in a different, bunch of different industries there's a pretty significant investment the first time you make it both of these parts were set of parts that uh, are not entirely to print so i said i'd like that and i put it on my uh, credenza here as a show and tell this is something i find interesting i i i'm often asking people about it uh like cross training there's a book i listened to not long ago it's called range and it's about how somebody who's trained in one job when they learn another job, they sort of have a, a head start in a way because they have interesting muscles that have been created from the one thing that they use for the next thing. And same thing with sports. The guy wrote a book called The Sports Gene, which is about that. Do you have much cross training in your shop since you have so much diversification? And, and how does that work well? Uh, we do. Um, since 99, we've had a U.S. Department of Labor certified apprenticeship. And part of that is that mm. uh, the machinists in the apprenticeship or the apprentices have to uh, have experience in different pieces of equipment. And so most of our folks will kind of gravitate to something that they really enjoy or they're familiar with. But uh, we do try to get exposure to all of the equipment uh, in the shop. It almost seems like there's a little bit of a certain personality that likes to run a lathe versus those that like to run a horizontal machining center with 24 pounds. There is a little different skill set, but it's probably a little bit like the athletic ability you're referring to, mm -hmm. where it's um, a mechanical aptitude, or even more importantly, a good machinist is a good problem solver. And uh, those folks that are good problem solvers can almost intuitively look at something that's going right or wrong and, uh, and understand what the variables are and be able to, to tease out the, the one variable that's causing the issue and, and fix it. So, sure. And I mean, an ace somewhere is probably an ace somewhere else. Sometimes, I mean, you hear about companies like Facebook, for instance, they take or Google, I think they take a manager from one thing. And then they'll just put it in a totally different department later to try to make them grow, et cetera. So I, I find that interesting you say that. There are so many people I talk to in this business who are like, I got my Acme guys here. I got my Swiss guys here. And most people don't want to run anything, any other kind of machines. They don't want to do anything else. They're comfortable there. And, you know, that's what works. So I, I think that's really cool that you guys do that. Having the diversification causes people to be stronger. That's interesting. It's always a new challenge. Uh, we don't have too many of our our cells that will just run the same part over and over. We have a few like that, and those are that's a good piece of business. If I had a shop full of that, I'd have fewer part numbers, and would be able to really work that harder. And uh, I've got a friend with a shop that's like that, and they're wildly successful. Um, a shop like and what? Excuse me. What that, that really focuses in on uh, high volume, low mix. Um, I wouldn't say we're low mix, high volume. 
uh, we're somewhere in the middle. We need repeating and long-term stuff. I mean, you told us the sectors, but what is some of the equipment uh, you have? You have some Swiss machines, right? And you have- uh, no, I actually don't. Um, we've got uh, a lot of uh, multitasking Milton late uh, machines, mm-hmm. uh, Morisiki NT type machines that have got a uh, milling head with a tool changer and a lower turret um, mm-hmm. so it can turn and mill in five axes simultaneously. Uh, we've got several five axis uh, machines with pallet systems. We've got uh, quite a number of horizontal machining center cells that have got pallet systems, um, a lot of uh, multiple turreted lathes that have got uh, main and sub spindles with uh, two and three turrets with milling on all the turrets. And so automation's kind of been a, a big deal. Um, in Utah, our unemployment rates below 2% right now. That is and really it, interesting. And it's interesting <laughs> that, I mean, it means that the economy is good, which is good, I suppose, momentum wise, but that is so interesting the way you, you, you go. Yeah. The unemployment rate is under 2%. Well, great. It's a, ter- it's a terrible thing <laughs> <laughs> for, for, uh, you know, you're grateful that everybody's working, but uh, it's really a challenge when you have an opportunity that you have to turn away because you don't have the workforce. So I, I actually, in my role as I've kind of removed myself from the day-to-day operations of the business, I spend a ton of time on workforce development and uh, trying to teach young people about manufacturing and machining and specific and tours and open houses and talking in colleges and working with education and the state to attract people into manufacturing trades, especially machining. And uh, uh, fortunately, uh, JD Machines had a, we've been at it a number of years and we've had a good solid pipeline. And I just did an orientation this morning with a couple of our new team members and it's exciting because they're excited to get going, get going in this career and this trade and they get into our apprenticeship and uh, very quickly become productive. And uh, we feel pretty good about it. Uh, would like every machine shop in Utah to do something similar to develop a workforce and, and relieve some of this shortage. But that's part of it. The other part of it is automation. But no matter how much automation you have, you're always going to need really good, highly skilled people to make it work. And so our equipment over the years has evolved from the lathe department with two axis lathes and the mill department with three axis mills. We went then in 97, uh, started a lean journey, and then we produced uh, single piece flow sales that did have a couple of two axis lathes and a three axis mill, which would produce a part that had two turning ops and a milling op. And then we went to a lathe that would have uh, two spindles and a turret with milling on it. And most recently, we've upgraded to multiple turrets. So um, really getting the cycle time down and increasing or reducing setup time by leaving parts or tooling set up on the turrets from part to part to part. So it's a fun business. There's always some good technology to exploit. This brings me to another question. I, I thought about it yesterday. I was talking to another dealer. Uh, who had sold recently a used 3D printer. And I saw some of your parts and I go, oh, what about that? So and it seems like you're, you're on the cutting edge. Do you have any 3D printers? Yeah, we do. We do. And I share this kind of as a success with other shop owners that some of our younger engineers and most of them work their way up through the apprenticeship and, and uh, went to school and and uh, just really have been loyal, paid their dues at the company, have done great things, but uh, they're kind of on the younger side. And I did a LinkedIn post a little while ago saying, I love millennials, because I walked into one of the engineering offices and, and I said, hey guys, what's going on? And uh, 
and I look on the desk of one of our engineers and there's a little tiny, it's a small robot. I says, did we buy a robot? He says, no, I made it. And this, this guy, oh. uh, we bought a 3d printer and he, uh, just on a whim and, uh, turns out we, we were able to make a replacement part for our CMM, a little plastic clip that paid for the price, the cost of the 3d printer. And then we use it for all kinds of things, things that I had never even imagined, but this uh, young engineer wanted to do a proof of concept on a robot to tend a press break. And so he uh, got online and uh, when SolidWorks, he designed this robot, found some gears that he could just uh, spec out and it gave him models and bought a little, very, very cheap um, controller for it. Cost, I don't know, he had $30 into it and built it in his free time and it was a functional robot. Uh, I love this stuff. I I was so excited that uh, he felt like he had the latitude to do that. And and before he came to me saying, hey, I need $60,000 for a robot. Uh, he wanted to make sure it worked first and it was, it was 3d printed on. So now we've got four or five 3d printers that we don't make any product, but they run almost nonstop building, uh, in some cases, even functional gauges, a lot of our CMM fixturing, uh, we had a big open house. we did, uh, a video game mm-hmm. tournament, Mario Kart, uh, uh, medals, uh, just all kinds of crazy things. I was what, what's that? What's Mario Kart medals? Oh, we had a trailer with a bunch of, uh, some company, some people started a company and they have all these video games in a trailer and they'll bring it to your party. So we had a tournament for all of our team members and their families and, uh, this open house, cool. they get to come and see where, where their loved ones worked. And then we had this, we had face painters and balloon animals and, we had this trailer with Mario Kart playing, and um, did you play? I did not. I did not. I was the host, so people came through the door. Did your kids also involved in the business play? Yeah, uh, let's see. No, they were. I had them busy too, but my son-in-law did, so he uh, okay he was involved with it. So, and he's he was at one time a world champion Mario Kart player. So, it's really what? <laughs> yeah, that's quite a bragging, right? Okay, yeah. you're. You're giving me all kinds of interesting questions now. Um, I clearly do not know much about 3D printing. I mean, I see them at the trade show and I need to do a podcast about 3D printing. Knowing what you know, do you see them maybe coming into your shop to do more actual production as opposed to just prototyping or or spare parts or something? Because I saw the parts that you were showing, especially that second one. And I was just like, maybe you could 3D print that. You absolutely could. and. Um... You know, with current technology, who knows where it goes? And I, I really try to keep abreast of what's happening with the technology, but I would never say I'm anywhere close to an expert on it. Um, from what I understand, you know, this this part would really be a good casting to start with, even better than a 3D printed part because uh, uh, just casting. the co- cost of castings would be cheaper. But because of the quantity, getting the tooling built for the casting is almost prohibitive. And, and with metal removal rates and whatnot, we can make it cheaper than if you tried to make them out of a casting. Of course, if the quantity went way up, then it would be. Um, 3D printing, from what I understand, especially on the metal side, works really well when you're trying to make a part that there's really no other way to make it. You've got some crazy mm. passageways for cooling or whatnot, uh, or weight reduction. And it's slow. It's slower than subtractive machining. And so... So far. Uh, we feel pretty... Yeah, so far. We feel pretty good about it, but 
and again, we're trying to develop a skill set internally by letting some of our young engineers just go crazy with it. And um, Ogden's kind of a high tech place, and there's some companies here that do 3D printing as a job shop and whatnot. And uh, you know, I I think there's absolutely a place for it. Um, hopefully, the world comes together, and uh, you know, there's there's room for all of this. But it's it's a pretty crazy technology. The other thing you just said, you said you love millennials. I do. Expand on that. (laughs) I'm sort of like a weird, I don't know if I'm a millennial or a generation X. I'm like basically right in the, I'm 1980. I don't even know what I am, but. um, (laughs) First off, I don't really believe in generalization, Uh, but you know, there, there are some common traits to generations. And I think one of them is that whatever generation I'm in, uh, Gen X, we, and the, before well, how that, old are you? 54. So you're, I guess you are Gen X. Yes. And the millennials complained about the Gen X and the Gen X complain about uh, baby boomers. Gen X complain. Yeah. Everybody complains about each other. So basically the young, younger generation there, we're all in trouble. But I, I did put my post on that because I kind of spoke to the amazing uh, results that that these younger people can produce if given the latitude and the freedom and the tools to use their knowledge and their thirst for additional knowledge and just their attitude that, hey, you know what, I it doesn't always have to be the way the guy, the old guy who trained me did it. And so yes. they, they do some pretty cool stuff. And there's obviously a need. And in fact, uh, our VP of sales and I came in my office a minute ago, and we were talking about how great it is that we have experienced machinists that have been at it for 25 years that are working side by side with younger machinists that don't, um, uh, that don't know as much, but want to understand all of the capabilities of the machine. And yeah. if you can create a culture and, and in my opinion, that, I mean, I, the culture of a machine shop is by far the biggest asset that it's not the equipment. It's not the customer base. It's not even the skills of the people. It's the culture of the company. And if uh, the culture is such that the, the more experienced machinists are open to the younger people having input. And if the younger people um, respect listen, will listen and, and will learn yeah. from the older, uh, more experienced people. I mean, that's where the magic is. So it's uh, something that I wouldn't say we're perfect at a uh, bunch of human beings. I've got my warts and freckles as does everybody else. Listeners first, I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for you guys tuning in. I know we have lots of competition out there. Freakonomics, This American Life, Joe Rogan. Also, I just want to let you know, if you have guest ideas or questions for me or Lloyd, we'd love for you to reach out. And if you want to talk about future advertising opportunities, we're very happy to talk to you anytime. Feel free to email me at noah at grafpinkert.com. That's N-O-A-H at G-R-A-F-F-P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. And now back to the episode. Do you feel like the stereotype, I think, for, for millennials is that they're, they're, they don't respond often to as well to just do this. This is, okay. this is what you're supposed to do. And is this, is this what you found? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, they want to be part of something. They don't want to just punch the clock and, you know, do exactly what they're told. And, and people s- before them. 
Listeners, first, I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for you guys tuning in. I know we have lots of competition out there. Freakonomics, This American Life, Joe Rogan. Also, I just want to let you know, if you have guest ideas or questions for me or Lloyd, we'd love for you to reach out. And if you want to talk about future advertising opportunities, we're very happy to talk to you anytime. Feel free to email me at noah at grafpinkert.com. That's N-O-A-H at G-R-A-F-F-P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. And now, back to the episode. And people before them, they probably wanted to be part of something, but they just figured, well, this will be acceptable. May not be deserving, you know, the the demographics of the world and our country, but more so the world than our country. But our country, I mean, there's just not people lined up at the door waiting to take any job that you're so gracious to give them. Um, yes. The workforce has a choice. They have an ability to say, I would rather work in this company because they do something meaningful. And because of that, uh, we actually spend some time periodically talking to our folks about, hey, guys, you made this part and it does this and it's making it's saving lives or it's uh, allowing this kind of transportation to happen. We'd love to have our customers come in and do a shop tour. And we always ask them to talk to our our team about what they make. Right. So it's not just some stupid widget because you're a job shop. So, I mean, it is easy to just go. Yeah, we make this round part. It looks kind of cool. Okay. Uh, or, or it looks mundane. And then, you know, then it's really like, what's the point that that makes total sense that you would want to give people a little bit more purpose by seeing, right. This is going inside a human body or this is going in an airplane. So you better be good. Exactly. It seems like what you were saying, you're involved in young people in schools, online. It seems like the idea is like, if you give, then you're going to receive. Would you say that that's sort of how you approach things? Or, or are, you, are you coming at things with a more altruistic, less selfish? Probably something in between. <laughs> Uh, I don't, you know, I'd like to think that I've got this, uh, an attitude of, uh, let's be plentiful, let's have abundance instead of scarcity. You know, I'm involved with trade associations, uh, done a lot with the National Tooling, the Machining Association, and trying to give back to the industry. Because to me, I mean, uh, the industry has been a great blessing to myself, my father, my family, and the uh, couple hundred families that uh, their livelihood here. And so I think that there's more to be gained by working together than there is by trying to hunker down, hide our secrets and, you know, just pit, uh, try to gain that little tiny incremental advantage. And so I try to spend time with workforce development in the community, uh, in the state and reach out to young people and hopefully at some point, uh, they come through our doors, but if they don't and sure. they get employed by another shop, that's going to help the industry and it's going to help my company. So uh, I think right. there's plenty of opportunities for you know service and give back to the industry, to our local communities, to the nation. And it will, it's not going to hurt us. It's going to really in the local us. In your local community in Ogden, Utah, where is Ogden, Utah? Is that near Salt Lake City? Or? Yeah, it's about, north, about 50 minutes north of Salt Lake. Okay. So what's the talent 
pool like for our industry? Is it really scarce? I know you have the low unemployment. Is it the same that so many people say there are not enough kids that want to go into this business? You got to home grow it because you're, nobody's going to get you any, you know, you're not going to find anybody good and people can't do math. And I don't know, you seem like you have a very like positive perspective of things. Yeah. So since about 92, when I took over, this is by far the most challenging labor market I've ever seen. And challenging being that there's just, I mean, experienced people, you can just forget about that. And even just having people willing to enter the industry, it's tough because of lots of different things. You know, retiring of the experienced folks, the baby boomers, the folks that are kind of on the sidelines because of COVID. There's just a multitude of reasons. And there's restaurants that have had to close their doors because they can't find people to work. So you have to have something different. You have to be able to really talk to them about the future, about doing something meaningful, about being part of an organization that truly cares about them as people. Uh, because around me, is a there's a number of Northrop Grumman plants. There's a huge air logistics uh, Air Force base. There's lots of machine shops. There's lots of um, multinationals that have got uh, businesses here. And about three miles down the road, Amazon is opening a big warehouse in any day now. Everywhere. So, yeah, it's tough. It is really tough. And, you know, as I mentioned, I feel pretty good about our efforts because we've been at it for 10 plus years of building a pipeline. And you have an apprentice, an apprenticeship program. I do. Yeah. But that that probably that was not easy to create, right? That took a lot. Oh, no, that was a huge amount of work. And uh, in some ways, it's almost um, for a smaller shop, it's, it's it's really difficult to do. That's why locally with the NTMA and the state, we're working to assist shops to develop an apprenticeship. And it's pretty cool. We're hoping to get this launched in the fall partnerships. Oh, to, help, to help other shops or partnering, yeah. several shops partnering to, with the same apprenticeship program, like feeding into a few different shops? Well, it actually would be a shop-specific apprenticeship program. And uh, we have a cool partnership between the Utah Manufacturers Association, our local chapter, the NTMA. Uh, there's a state government organization called Talent Ready Utah. And I think I mentioned the Utah Manufacturers Association. And with the support of the state and some of the workforce uh, money they have set aside. We're working regionally where the employers in a region will partner with the school district and the local tech college, which they're at, we're fortunate enough in Utah in each area to have a technical college. And then uh, the, the really the pipeline is built by the school districts, making counselors and parents and students aware of these great jobs in machining. We'll open our doors uh, hopefully, we'll have a big uh, media blitz and get a stream of young people entering into this trade during high school, attending the tech colleges, doing uh, internships at the shops. So that when they're done, they can just continue on in this apprenticeship with the employer that they've been uh, partnered with. And so I'm pretty excited about it. You know, we've been working different iterations of this for years with the trade association, but. I think we got the right people at the table now. And it's just, uh, we've had several kickoff meetings with education and the shops are absolutely interested in getting on board with this thing. I'm so impressed with your with your networking. And, you know, once one thing we, we spoke about before was uh, you're involved in the NTMA and you have a group of shops, like three, four companies. 
around the country and you guys sort of have your own little group and you, you yeah. exchange ideas. Can you talk about that or is this top secret? I need to no, edit this uh, no, out. Not at all. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's come out because this is the only place I've ever worked and it's a big world out there mm. and there is a lot to learn in manufacturing and in running a business. And so I've been fortunate enough to have some great mentors that have given me advice that I've been able to reach out to and, and say, Hey, I, now I'm hitting this employee level. What, what What's my organization supposed to look like? And just various things like that specific machine selection ideas or workforce training or ERP, you name it. Uh, yeah. I think I can do decent research, but I'd sure much rather be able to pick up the phone and call. In fact, recently, I we were looking at uh, MT Connect specifically, and I remember a colleague in, in Florida, Shannon Sweatman at Southern Machine, had been down to that. So I reached, picked up the phone and called her, and she was immensely helpful. I mean, saved weeks or months off of our learning curve. So... I think it's great to create a network of folks that you're willing to give to and, and support and help them succeed. And by far, there are exceptions, but by far, people are willing to uh, reciprocate. And so I was at a trade show and a friend uh, actually wasn't, I didn't really know him that well, but we were kind of just chatting in between sessions at this conference. And I, I just thought, you know, you've got so, you're a hugely successful shop, well, well respected. I mean, we've done a few fun things that you might find interesting. What do you think about maybe just visiting each other's shops and, and sharing some best practices? And he's yeah. really interested in that. So we kind the of- owners visiting each other's shops or the sh shop or, or the actual uh, staff? Well, it started out as owners, but we brought our ops leaders uh, on trips before. To, to see each other. Mm -hmm. But and then during COVID, it all turned into Zoom and we've had a few other shops uh, get involved. And it, it's a trusted group. It's people that you would be willing to share your customer lists with. And they, you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty rare. But in this case, uh, they've been really, really helpful to me. And it, some days it's nice just to get on a call. We do a monthly call and cry the woes that are <laughs> that, that that we all deal with in this industry and sometimes and it's, it's just like three or four three or four of you yeah 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 that's awesome and then there's other iterations of that but uh, you know different friends that i have that i feel like i can pick up the phone and ask questions of and a lot of that's come through trade associations and and through a different uh you know if you do a, a tour of a machine tool builder's you're going to meet new people and I'm not socially super outgoing and it's a little bit hard for me to do that, but I do enjoy uh, talking to people and sometimes I'll say, Hey, you know, we bought a 3d printer and we're making CMM fixtures. And they're like, Oh, that's a cool idea. And they pick it up and they say, well, I'm doing this. And it kind of builds from there. So it does take some work to keep the relationships up, but man, I feel it seems like to me like you're a hell of a networker. You're probably just selling yourself <laughs> short. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm passionate about the industry and, and about the business and, and having a good time. I mean, that's uh, really a great time to be in manufacturing. It's not without its challenges and foremost being a uh, workforce. And secondly, supply chain and getting metal and other materials. But uh, there's never been a time when it's been smooth sailing. And I don't, don't expect it ever will be. I mean, I asked you in our pre-interview, everybody, FYI, we often do pre-interviews. I know <laughs> it's terribly... It's terribly uh, unspontaneous. Uh, but if I remember correctly, I said, if you were going to go into one 
start a company with one sector, what would you choose? And you said, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start a manu- machining company. <laughs> well, were you having a hard day that day or, or do you really mean that? It's a tough business. You know, I've never worked anywhere else, but I've tried to find a more complicated business where there are as many things that go wrong as that there are inherent in this business. And I, I think I've had one, each one of my management team say, why did your dad ever start this business? And uh, it's in jest because again, we, we sacrifice sanity for stability. And, and when you do it right, it's, uh, it's pretty darn rewarding because you know it's not easy. I like to fly fish. And when you hook a trout fly fishing, you have to do a lot of things right for that all to come together. And I think machining is that same way. There are so many things that have to go right before you can have some success. And then if you try to grow, it just exploits every weakness your organization has. And there's certain stages that the bigger a shop gets, I mean, you're really getting yourself in trouble by... Uh, if you don't have the proper systems in place to support growth and the right people that have got the right experience, which has to have a right culture and the right customer base. And there's just a thousand things that have to go right for you to succeed. And there's 50,000 things that can go wrong. <laughs> it's going to derail that success. So it does get in your blood. I just don't think I could ever do anything else because it is a kick. And when things go right, it's fun. But when it's bad, you know, over time and the gray hair I've got uh, has taught me that, you know, this will pass and we'll get on. Just I see it in my kids as my two sons and my daughter are involved in the business. My daughter works from home. She has two of our grandchildren and I have one son that just started his MBA and another that's just finishing up a business degree. And the son that's uh, work, the oldest son who's on uh, working on his MBA is actually a frontline leader on the shop floor running all of our horizontal mills. And and it's been really fun to watch I bet. both his successes and his failures and uh, just seeing and talking him off the ledge. And my dad did that, my dad did that a lot for me. I'd go in and, into his office and, and I'd sit down and say, oh, I got this problem. And most of the time he just listened and he said, you'll figure it out. And off I'd go. And I was fortunate enough to have a father, a first generation who was willing to trust me, which I have no idea why he did to the level that he did. But uh, he, he, he was super supportive and probably gave me more responsibility than I was ready for. I hope I can manage that with my kids so the company you can have, make it. What about the other son? The other son is also in the business? or Yeah, yeah he's four years younger and uh, 22 now. And he's working in purchasing. He's working with all of our outside suppliers, uh, processors. And uh, so he went to the tech college locally in high school and uh, has worked on the shop floor. And just recently he was married and, and need a little more flexibility with his schooling. So he's working and purchasing and kind of learning that, that side of the business. Interesting. And where did you go to college or did you, did you go to tech school or did you not go to college or? Yeah. So I went to Weber state university. It's, it's a Weber local state. university here and uh, they have a really good manufacturing engineering technology program. That's what I started in. And uh, at that time, just getting going in the business, my parents just traveled when I started getting involved in the business. So I was in school, married, had a baby, and they were out traveling, which was really exciting in some ways. But uh, I hired a couple of my friends from high school. And um, one of them is our chief process officer, and the other is our quality systems manager now. And we were all in. So by the time you went in, your dad was already kind of, hey, I want to go and relax and travel. Yeah, travel, but not ever leave the business. So 
Um, Interesting. But, but uh, I was in engineering school. I got to a physics class and I thought, what am I ever going to do with this? So I remember my wife and I were talking and I said, I think, I think I need a business degree. And that meant it was going to extend my time in college by year and a half, two years, but uh, it really was a great move. And so I finished um, with okay. a business management degree. And So and a business I, management degree, it makes a big difference in you being a, a good owner? Because I always wondered about that. I would hope so. I, I mean, I, I think the accounting and the finance and the business law and those, all the, all the things that are involved with running a business. And there's so many different types of shops out there. I mean, and, and they're all super important. And I don't think bigger is better, honestly. I think that a shop that realizes who they are and uh, some business people tell you, if you're not growing, you're dying. That's, that is garbage. That is not true at all. You can, you can stay the same size and just be great at what you do, make a wonderful living and provide a great uh, environment for, for people and build the community and without having to be big. But you know, but you're growing. Uh, we're trying to contain it. Actually, I okay. don't don't have a desire to get a lot bigger than we are right but now. You've, you've been growing constantly, though. We have, yeah, yep, yep, yep. I mean, if the right opportunities present themselves, um, where we can use automation to grow the company, grow revenues without changing our culture. That's what uh, our stockholders mm-hmm. have determined: is that we're okay to grow. We don't have to grow, but we're okay to grow as long as we can maintain our cultures. And by stockholders, I mean my wife and I. So nice. All right, I'm going to throw you a few little more rapid fire before we finish this up. Um, sure. You know, something that I'm working on with myself, actually writing a blog about it tomorrow. It's it's being out of my comfort zone. I, I feel like we've talked about that a bit in this interview. Would you characterize yourself as a person that tries to go out of your comfort zone? Yeah, I think so. Um, some people just want to just stay there in their cocoon. And then some people are like, yeah, I'm going to try this kind of machining. I'm going to try this different thing or whatever. And I want to grow. So I'll stop interrupting you now and let you talk. No, I, I you know, I think, I don't know if it's personality or uh, the environment, but continuous improvement, the growth of technology in this business, it kind of has turned me into a bit of an a person with OCD when it comes to never being satisfied or content. And I've recently had to make a really conscious and it's been a tough decision to really get out of the way of our leadership so that they, because mm. I'd always come with them and say, Hey, I got a, I got an idea. Let's try this. And all it did was add to their load and create stress on the organization. So I had to kind of back off a little bit, but, uh, so getting you know, out of your comfort zone for you might mean backing off, letting, letting go a little. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And because where I'm comfortable is uh, making changes and making improvements. That's what I really enjoy. But, uh, you know, recently I, I learned that that's not always the best thing for the organization. So I'm having to make some changes to not push so hard. And uh, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, so you're pushing yourself to not push so hard. <laughs> I guess so. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, I often like to ask people what's something they learned recently um, about anything. And then people usually go blank when I ask them that. So (laughs) I'll just say, you know, what's something you read recently or saw recently, a TV show, a book, whatever that struck you emotionally or intellectually? Let's see. I actually reading this book um, that it was a quote that I, I actually included in my newsletter. This is the book that I'm reading. You have a newsletter. 
Yeah. Yeah. Our company newsletter. It's a way that we've really tried to, you know, improve our communication within our organization. And, and you write it? Uh, no, Maddie does. Uh, Maddie's oh, your my daughter. daughter and, and she takes care of all that. But I, I personally did uh, include an article. Uh, and let me just share that with you real quick. Sure. What was that book you were holding up? Uh, it says, Do What Matters Most. And so this was... Uh, Lead colleague. with a vision, manage with a plan, prioritize your time. Ugh, yeah. sounds like what I really need to do. <laughs> a colleague, I, I, I was talking with somebody about uh, what I just mentioned, where I um, I need to step away a little bit. And I don't, I'm a little nervous because I didn't know what to do with the time that I've been spending stirring things up in the business. And You're only 54. Book. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah. You're young. Uh, so Vince Lombardi said, we will re- relentlessly chase perfection, knowing full well we will not catch it because nothing is perfect, but we will relentlessly chase it because in the process, we will catch excellence. I am not remotely mm-hmm. interested in just being good. And uh, I'd like to think that, you know, I, I share that and, and uh, try to make that part of my personal life and my professional life. And uh, uh, I think in this business, the, the lean concepts and continuous improvement really drive that. And, and I think, uh, I think it's critical because manufacturing is important and we have a great industry and we're vital to, you know, our nation and our communities and our families. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.